everyone, and welcome to the Asher Marketing Podcast. I'm Anthony Giuliano, and my guest this week is Matt Ballard. Matt, how you doing? Doing great, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for joining us all the way from the great state of West Virginia. How are things in West Virginia today? Well, things are great in West Virginia. You know, it is almost heaven, so it's always a good day. We are in our uh, distinct season of winter, though. It's a, it's a little chilly here today. Yeah. Do you ever wish that John Denver just said it was heaven, not almost heaven? That <laughs> seems like damning with faint praise. Almost. <laughs> it's a great point. But, you know, recently um, I was watching the an NFL game. They were playing in Germany and the crowd busted out yeah. in, uh, in, in, in that song. So it's known worldwide. So, so help me out. What was the connection there? Or is it kind of like a song like Sweet Caroline where it doesn't really matter? It's just sort of you know, something people like to sing, or was there any connection there that I missed? I don't know the actual genesis of why they sang that, but I had two, I had two, uh, it, it could just be like Sweet Caroline, it's just something everybody knows. The other though is that in that game, it included the uh, Seattle Seah- uh, Seahawks were, were the team, and Geno Smith, the quarterback there who's doing really well, is a West Virginia University football player, uh, former, and uh, WVU grad, so that could have also been why. All right, well, let's go with that. I like that theory. We can start to spread that here on the podcast, and maybe it will reach critical mass. So, um, and hopefully, Geno Smith continues to represent the state well over the course of the season. That's All right. right. Well, we're not here to talk about Geno Smith. <laughs> we're here to talk about you. So, Matt, um, I usually like to start with the career path of our guests, and I'd like you to start at the beginning. I took, I did my usual thorough thorough research for this podcast, which consists of about five minutes on your LinkedIn profile. And it looks like at one point you were in a healthcare career field, and then maybe you pivoted. So tell us a little bit about that. What were you thinking as you were coming of age? Where did you go? And then when did you pivot? That's a great question. And thanks for the homework, a good lead into a, you know, it's difficult sometimes when you're 18 years old to, to, you know, determine your future career path. So my undergraduate degree is in nursing. uh, And I really did not practice. I mean, in between undergrad and graduate school, I practiced just for a very brief period of time, went on to graduate school, uh, public administration was my my study there. I did still minor in healthcare administration in case I decided to go that path. But, uh, um, you know, really thought my skill set was probably better set uh, for other other opportunities. And, and you know, it just takes a while to, to recognize that, I guess. Sure. So um, so I actually started out after graduate school working for our uh, then governor, Bob Wise, uh, and working in the Department of Tax and Revenue. Did a lot of really interesting projects there uh, and, and, and spent about three years there. And then um, one of the projects that I worked on there was helping the governor help businesses that needed to recover from a flood that had happened in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And that that took part in mostly the southern part of the state. And so as I traveled there to, to, to help in those efforts, you know, there are efforts to help people with their home, but not so much their businesses. Sure. So the, the governor really wanted to focus on that. And um, that took me to a lot of the southern coal fields. And I met a lot of folks down there. One of the most exciting things that was happening there at the time was the Hatfield-McCoy trail system. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Hatfield-McCoy trail system is uh, for ATVs, UTVs. Uh, it's it's a motorized trail system, very unique. Uh, the only one like it in the world that we're aware of, where it's on private land, but managed by a public corporation. So anyway, they were getting visitors from all over the country, and the, an opportunity came up to be the executive director of the uh, Hatfield-McCoy Trails. So I did that, and I'd had some connections in southern West Virginia, which helped me, kind of folks knew me, and I was able to uh, interview and, and, and uh, you know, 
was thankful to get that opportunity. And talk about exciting, Anthony. I mean, that's I mean that that project continues to grow. It sold ninety thousand permits to ride that trail system wow. last year. Wow. Yeah, well, that's great. And well, it's in a what's... part of the it's in a part of the state too, where you know a lot of folks always thought they'd be working for someone else, but they've opened up their own businesses as a result of it. They've opened up cabins and campgrounds, and you know it's a real tourism destination. Um, so it's it's it remains an exciting project, and I spent three years doing that. Well, that's great. Well, West Virginia seems to be gaining or or maybe it's retaining a reputation for uh, tourism in that way, where I was talking to some folks at the New River Gorge Development Alliance. I may have gotten that name wrong, but they're doing some great things to attract some tourism dollars there as well. So it sounds like a great place to have some fun and as a result, generating some entrepreneurship there, too. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I, I call it the East Coast playground. Um, you know, you can you can fish, whitewater raft, hike, ski, mountain bike, uh, hunt. We've sort of got it all. Ride the ATVs on the Hatfield McCoy Trail. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, you're right. And the New River Gorge being the nation's newest national park is is very exciting for the state. So, so talk about the shift you made from there. You worked there for a little under three years. Where do you go from there, and what what does that work consist of? Yeah, so, you know, managing that trail system was certainly, I love the marketing aspect of that. You know, uh, we we did a lot of national uh, press events and things. and and uh, But it also got me into the economic development side of it, helping those small businesses that were there, uh, you know, monetize this, this trail system that was around. And so uh, after spending a few years there, our uh, largest county in the state, Kanawha County in West Virginia and Charleston, our capital city, were merging all of these entities together. They were merging their Chamber of Commerce, their Economic Development Group, and their Downtown Community Group into one organization called the Charleston Area Alliance. I found it pretty appealing that groups could put aside their fiefdoms and and like join together those efforts. Um, I lived in that county and so I I applied for a position there and uh, that took me into the sort of pure economic development work, which is a position most people, no one like graduates from high school and says I'm going to be an economic developer. No one, people just find that job, you know. Sure, sure, sure. So and that leads you to where you are today, correct? Can you talk a little bit about that transition? Yeah, so it's 15 years there at the Charleston Area Alliance, and one oh, wow. of the pro- yeah, one of the projects we worked on was uh, this, which is the West Virginia Regional Technology Park. Um, this was a, a technology park that had been built originally, actually, by Union Carbide back in the 40s. Uh, it had developed over the years. Dow eventually acquired the site. And uh, 2011, Dow donated uh, about 258 acres to the state of West Virginia. And they created a corporation to manage this asset. Uh, and I'm sure we'll get into the details of what that is. But that's how I transitioned from from that role in economic development to this role, which is still very much economic development and also, you know, real estate and, and uh, uh, management of the real estate and the facilities here as well. Okay, great. Well, tell us a little bit about the West Virginia Regional Technology Park. Tell us what what are you trying to do. What are some of your challenges? What is the opportunity? And ultimately, what's the message you're trying to get out there? Yep. Well, the park is, you know, I mean, we're we're all about science, technology, and innovation. That's those are our focus points. Um, in fact, here at the park, there have been over thirty thousand patents have been developed just in this two hundred and fifty eight acres. A lot wow. of that by Union Carbide, but many of it by the companies that are here now. We have twenty six companies on the site, and we're growing. I mentioned earlier when Dow donated the uh, park uh, or portion of the park to the state. At that time, there were 550 jobs here. Today, there's over a thousand. Oh wow! So, 
So we're creating a place for innovation. We're creating very unique space, laboratory facilities, pilot plants, office space, warehousing, manufacturing space for really commercializing new technologies uh, and innovation. That That's our, our key. And and is there an opportunity for collaboration among the entrepreneurs in the park? In other words, are there synergies among the businesses that are in the park? And if so, what are some examples of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, with those 26 businesses that we have are all dynamic and unique. Um, and we we really bring people together, what we call intentional collisions. Uh, we have campus-wide events so that people are networking and learning what others are doing. And what we found come out of that is collaborative efforts. So people applying for federal grants or people working on it to tackle a, you know, an engineering or chemistry challenge together. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, collaboration that, that happens. One of our most dynamic companies is a company called Matrix. And uh, they're, you know, they are fantastic engineers, scientists, and chemists. And uh, um, they often find themselves around campus uh, with other companies working on projects with them uh, and, you know, contracting with them to to do uh, whether that's process de design improvement or, you know, just walking people through the steps of how to commercialize new technologies. Uh, it, it's it's actually something that happens pretty frequently here. Okay. So what are some of the challenges that you run into in terms of promoting the park, promoting entrepreneurship, promoting West Virginia? What are some of the things that you're looking to change minds about or to reinforce in terms of the strengths that that your uh, effort offers. We're really looking to reinforce, you know, the quality of our workforce here in West yeah. Virginia. We we are a small state, and so mm -hmm. oftentimes, a you know, a potential business will think, well, I'm not sure if I can get the workforce there because it's, you know, we don't have millions and millions of people. Sure. Uh, but um, but the quality of our workforce is tremendous. Um, we have the lowest turnover in manufacturing in the country. So if you're a manufacturer coming here, you're going to have a lot less turnover and thus less cost. Um, that we are innovators. There are quite a bit of uh, folks that throughout the state that you know have multiple patents that have uh, turned out successful companies. Um, so I think those are the, the as far as, as challenge goes. You know, being a smaller state, about two million people throughout the whole state. Uh, part of it is is letting folks know that they can get the workforce and the talent that they need when they come here. And that's, you know, we're kind of a hotbed for the talent pool in, in our community. Uh, it's where all of the, you know, uh, you know, our PhDs and masters and bachelor's level uh, uh, scientists and engineers and, and STEM-based uh, researchers are, are housed. So what are some of the success stories, if you don't mind sharing, some of the businesses that have, have incubated in the tech park and have, you know, thrived in that area, some of the products that have been developed, what are some success stories you can speak to? Yeah, well, the products are unbelievable um, throughout the whole history of the park. You're talking about, you know, probably the seats, not probably, the seats that we're sitting on now, the yep. foam, the foam in your computer chair uh, was almost certainly designed here. Certs and other memory foams were originally huh. developed here. A lot of the Prestone products for your automobile okay. uh, were developed here as well. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Of those thirty thousand patents, many are remain in the market uh, today, and and you know are are being uh, put to use. Part of the one of the biggest success stories I mentioned just a minute ago is Matrix. Um, they started here in two thousand four with one person, and today they have over a hundred employees. 
Um, part of that effort was at that time Dow in our community was downsizing. They're still here, but they were they were they were making a strategic business decision to downsize, and we wanted to keep the brain trust together that had been working at this park for quite some time. And so the community helped to create uh, through economic development efforts uh, an organization that would do that, that would keep our our brain trust and and the dynamic people we had. And so they've grown to over a hundred people uh, and are churning out their own patents. Just been awarded a an amazing federal grant to work on pharmaceuticals that are uh, a challenge for us now in the United States. Um, you know, we learned during COVID that a lot of the medications that, that you and I and everyone take on a daily basis aren't made in this country anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so that part of the grant that Matrix was awarded, which I think is, a, is an exciting story, is uh, to begin to make the precursor chemicals we need to make your blood pressure medication or your cholesterol medication so that if the country needs them, they can be called upon to make that uh, in times of need. So that's just one dynamic, uh, you know, story of, of work that, that, that Matrix, one of our tenants, is doing to help us in potentially the next uh, health crisis that we may have. Well, that's 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 great work, important work, and um, really, you know, pleased to hear that. I'm also a big fan of foam. I have a hard chair at home that I sit in for eight hours a day when I'm working for my home office, and and I need to get a chair that has those products in it because my back can't take it. Well, some great stuff happening. How has the the environment in the last couple of years either benefited or presented challenges? Um, you know, there's there's been a, a shift in the way people think about where they live and work. Has that benefited West Virginia? Has it been, you know, a greater challenge? What are some of the realities of how it's affecting you? Yeah, great question. Really good. So, um, I'll answer to the way it's affecting West Virginia and the park. West Virginia, it's actually been uh, a very a positive. Um, we had more people for in-migration to the state uh, it last year than we had out-migration, and that's the first time that's happened in about 25 years. Wow. People realized that they could come here and have the connectivity but enjoy the outdoors and not sure. be on top, you know, not be on top of people like you might be in New York City or San sure. Francisco. Sure, sure. Um, and, you know, you can have a nice half acre or acre property in a, in a house and, and work from home remotely. The state is even doing a cool project called Project Ascend, uh, where if you're a remote worker, uh, you get uh, a certain stipend over a three year period and you get to take part in all of those outdoor activities. So in that three years, as you acclimate to the new state and get to know West Virginia, you know, you get free lift tickets for skiing and a free whitewater pass and, you know, uh, get to go on hikes with business people around the state so you can build a network work. It's a really unique program they've developed and uh, and it's bringing people in and, well, and, as, as evidenced by the data. Yeah. So yeah. for the park, for the park, it didn't impact, in fact, impact us negatively because you see a lot of people, you know, working from home now, but the bulk of our facilities here, uh, while we do have office space, certainly, uh, but is laboratory space. And yeah. I told our folks when this happened, you know, you can't do chemistry in your basement or your garage yeah. or you shouldn't yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you could, but it's not advisable. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, our folks have been working here throughout. And uh, part of the thing about working in a lab, though, too, is you do have such a, you know, we have our, our uh, laboratories are, are single pass air. So you're bringing air into the facilities, but it never recirculates, uh, which helps, uh, yeah. especially Especially when you're when you have trans you know communicable diseases sure. uh, as we did during COVID, so um, we we've been very fortunate. Sure. So how much of the attraction piece is trying to attract businesses that might be located somewhere else that might be founded by folks in other parts of the world who are looking for a, for another location, and how much of it is homegrown? In other words. 
what's the likelihood someone who's in the tech park is going to be from the state, they're looking to invest in the state, what's the likelihood that you're trying to draw people in from uh, another part of the country or the world for that matter? Yeah, good question. It's probably half and half. I mean, yeah. we're definitely recruiting. Uh, we do it quite a bit. In fact, we just had a red carpet tour. Um, our current sitting U.S. Senators, Joe Manchin and, and Senator uh, Shelley Capito, helped us to host at an event where we brought in 20 executives and site consultants mm. uh, to take a look at the park, to understand West Virginia, uh, and, and you know to get to know our senators and, and what they're doing at the federal level and our state leaders as well. Uh, and then a big part of it is helping the entrepreneurs that are here at their state or even just the existing companies that are here uh, at the park already grow. You know, if you can help a company that's already here uh, through a challenge and they add yeah. 10 people as a result for it, that's just as good as recruiting a company that's hires 10, spe 10 people uh, and they're more likely to stay. Sure. So, um, sure. so we do a lot of work with the existing companies that are here with entrepreneurs that are growing. And then naturally, we also try to recruit uh, businesses to the park as well. Sure. Well, one of the things I worked in economic development for about five minutes um, <laughs> and certainly don't know a, a fraction of what you know. But one of the things I always heard is that there's really two sales. There's the convincing the business decision maker that the workforce is there, that the economic incentives are there, that the site is right, and then convincing uh, his or her significant other slash spouse and family that this is a great place to live. Do you see that dynamic and, and how do you deal with those two different aspects of economic development? That's a great question, and you're you're spot on. I've seen that happen before, where you know an executive or the company's moving, but the spouse isn't sure. Um, what we've done in that case is heavily personalized things. You know, typically the executive will let us know that there's some trepidation, maybe from the spouse's yeah. part. Um, sure. And so, you know, we'll we'll ask them what things do they like to do, so that when they do come for the visit, we can show them that you know. So if they're a tennis player, we take them to the tennis club, or you know, whatever yep. that may be. Sure. Uh, whatever their hobbies are and what their profession is as well, that they'll have job opportunities here if they so choose. Um, so we just get real specific and personalized with the person um, and try to, you know, uh, you know, make a, a schedule and a, and a, and a tour that, that will appeal to their, uh, you know, what their interests are. Yeah, no, I think that's that's really wise uh, in terms of an approach. You know, I think there's parallels between your part of the world and and where I am, where you know there's there's not a lot on the surface that appears sexy about Northeast Indiana, but you know I'm a transplant, came here from Massachusetts, and and the quality of life was was pretty good, but the cost of living was even better. Yeah. Um, but over time. I think this part of the world has learned that one of its advantages is connectivity where, you know, you, you mentioned the, the relatively small size population wise, um, where it's easier to connect the dots. And from an entrepreneurship and economic development standpoint, it's critical to be able to collaborate and communicate without having to go through multiple layers. So I don't know if it's true for you, but in my neck of the woods, there's not six degrees of separation. It's more like two or three sometimes. Have you seen that effect? And has that benefited the entrepreneurs and, and business decision makers in terms of their ability to, to get things done in the state of West Virginia? Yeah, no question. Being a smaller state and, you know, uh, those of us that have been here our whole lives or for, for much of our professional careers do have tremendous contacts throughout the state where we can help an entrepreneur or a company coming in. And, uh, yeah, I had an intern in my last 
job that uh, she had gone to Columbia University and had come to West Virginia for an opportunity. And and she articulated it really well that that helped me, uh, you know, better see it, which was, you know, the the ladder that you the, the rungs that you have to climb to success in West Virginia, just so much shorter mm-hmm. because you you quickly get to know all the decision makers uh, and they're, they're willing to help you. And yeah. uh, that may be different in a much, much larger populated area. Sure. So um, I remember having that talk with her when, when as she kind of uh, finished up her internship and what her experience was like here in West Virginia. And it really hit home. And, and I saw it began to see it as a great asset for us. Well, that's great. Well, that's great. So, Matt, what are some of the things on the horizon as you look ahead? What are some of the things that are exciting that you're looking forward to? Maybe they're keeping up, keeping you up at night a little bit, maybe a combination of those things. What's what's next for the West Virginia Regional Tech Park? Yeah, I'll mention two or three things. One, you know, we're creating a new site, uh, 14 acres. And to do that in West Virginia, you know, we're known for our beautiful mountains and our hills. Uh, but yeah. uh, sometimes you have to do some earthwork when you want to create a flat <laughs> yeah. site here. Yeah. So we're actually moving 900,000 cubic yards of earth, if you can believe it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> to, to create 14 acres. And it's, it's great, actually, Anthony. It's a public-private partnership. We are sending that earth that we're moving uh, with, you know, heavy equipment to another site that needed to fill in a site. And it's already uh, developing into a retail facility for our city. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have 14 acres when it's completed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exciting. And what will yeah, happen with great. that? how we plan for that, how we get the infrastructure to it. Um, Probably the second of three things that I'm excited about is the state of West Virginia is currently analyzing uh, the opportunity for them to maximize efficiencies and uh, and also entrepreneurial thinking in regards to state state laboratories. So we have, uh, you know, our Department of Agriculture, our Health and Human Resources, our Medical Examiner's Office, State Police, any state agencies that would have laboratory facilities, but they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I think we've seen from what other states have done, there are efficiencies and business cases to be made for consolidating them uh, either on one campus or on one facility. So the state is undergoing that that um, research and, and uh, study now. And it, it, the thinking is that if that's the uh, conclusion, if that's the outcome, that that will likely be here, that the location will likely be here, which would bring 400 new people uh, to our wow. campus, which would be oh, really exciting. Great. Yeah. yeah. And and again, those opportunities for collaboration and, and that to, you know, really snowball into more business development and business growth. That sounds like a great opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. We're excited about it. And the third and final one that I'd love to mention to you is that we've just completed a science exhibit called Science on a Sphere. Uh, we just built a $7 million building for the National Weather Service and their parent federal agency, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. Um, they have this program called Science on a Sphere. And it we now have, it's completed and ready on our campus. It's a room, a beautiful room with a seven foot globe in the middle that we can project 800 data sets to. Wow. So not just weather. Uh, you can do weather, but you can do shark tracking. You can do, you know, turtle tracking. You can look at all the uh, active planes in the air and where their flight patterns are, Facebook connections. Um, and so we're going to be bringing middle school and high school students here to learn more about STEM and get them engaged and excited about STEM careers using that science exhibit. And so that's just a brand new thing. We, you know, that's our first science exhibit or uh, type thing on our campus. So we're pretty excited about bringing the public here to to learn more about STEM. 
Well, that's great. And and from my experience, when my son was younger, turtles and sharks are a great entry point to get people <laughs> interested in science and, and see the career potential. You know, I'll, I'll circle back to where you started. You know, we mentioned that it's really hard to make a decision about what you want to do when you're 18. I think that's sometimes true when we're 28 and 38. But if you can get kids to see where their interests intersect with career opportunities, that gets them thinking. They don't have to make a decision when they're in middle school but certainly to understand how the world works and to understand how jobs are built around their interests, I think is critical to let kids in that window as soon as possible. Yeah, no question. That's our hope. And we have a community and technical college here on our campus. They're going to be helping us with the curriculum development. And so uh, it, it, it's going to be a real positive thing, I think, for our community and our state. So, Matt, it sounds like ultimately, you know, one of your roles is to be a facilitator, to bring together business, to bring together government, to bring together higher ed and create an environment where you're removing barriers and make it, making it easy for them to work together. So I really applaud that work because sometimes, you know, we, we focus on the people who are doing all of those things, but we forget those who connect them are equally as important. So that sounds like great stuff. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's Let's pivot to what I call the speed round of the show. It doesn't have to okay. be the speed round of the show, okay. but it's a few quick hit questions that sometimes generate quick hit answers, but they can be more extensive if you'd like. So the first one has to do with careers. You've done a couple different things in your career. Your career has certainly evolved over time. What have you learned in that in terms of career success and fulfillment? What would you share as your best advice for having a fulfilling, successful career? Good question. I think part of it for me has been um, constant eagerness to learn new things and willingness to learn new things, sometimes which are uncomfortable. There's parts of everyone's job that they don't love, um, but not always focusing on just the parts you like, but learning sort of the position holistically uh, is really important. But I've tried to be a lifelong learner. Uh, and learn new technologies. I've gotten really interested in blockchain recently, for example. Not really part of my job, but just something that I can see as an emerging technology that I want to have enough understanding about that I can speak to it when others are, are talking about it. So just as an example of things that uh, I think it's important to be a lifelong learner is critical. Well, that's great. And and something that I think is is underappreciated is how difficult that gets as you move on in your career. You get kind of more entrenched in what you know you get beholden to the old ways of doing things and you can sometimes, and I'm speaking, if it sounds like I'm speaking from personal experience, I am, you can get resistant to those new ideas. So I think that's great advice, not just for people getting started, but those who, those of us who are a little more mature in our careers. By the way, Matt, if you could, we're not going to do it here because it would take the, you know, more than the rest of the time we have, but someday if you could explain blockchain to me, okay. I would be forever grateful. I listened to a two-part podcast ser series in hopes that I would understand it. And I left that 45 minutes with thinking, I think I know less about blockchain as a result of that 45 minutes. So, you know, that may just be a reflection of my intelligence level, but hopefully someday you and I can talk and you can explain it to me. Yeah, let's do it. I'd love All right, that. great. Let's do it. Great. All right. Second quick hit question. What is a myth or misconception related to your work that you would like to clear up or could be something that just needs to be amplified that's not as well known as you'd like it to be? It could be about the state of West Virginia. It could be about the tech park. It could be about economic development. Whatever you would like to amplify, here's your chance. I think that I'll, I'll 
take the opportunity to say it about economic development. You you said that you uh, you were also participated in economic development. There's a great misunderstanding about economic development, and I think it's because, if I might, because there's no television show about it. I've hypothesized about this. You think about television shows and professions. We can see what it's like to be a doctor, the president of the United States, a fireman. Sure, those are people acting in fiction roles, but it gives you an idea of the stress those people have, what challenges they have. There's sure. never been a TV show about a city planner or an economic development. Maybe mm-hmm. because it wouldn't be super interesting, but the truth is that you have to have, have a knowledge, a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things. An economic developer uh, plays the engineer, the, the accountant, uh, you know, the scientist, the inventor. We have to be so many different things to so many people. And these are critical positions in everyone's community that really help push things and make them go that people don't always see. It's usually happening in the background. So, um, you know, I think I would say is, you know, I don't know if it's a misconception or just a, a, you know, not a lot of exposure the general public has to how economic development happens. So if you're out there and, and you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to to look up your local economic development organization, get to know who those folks are and uh, and work with them, help them or or ask them to help you if you're in need uh, with your small business or, or a business challenge. Well, I think a related challenge is that when people hear about economic development or economic developers, it tends to be negative. There's a lot of positive things that never really get attention called to them. You know, you'll see folks, you know, in hard hats with shovels that are groundbreaking, but nobody connects that back to economic development. They're thinking about the new business that's coming in or the business that's that's expanding. Um, and, and sometimes it's only in the media when it's a location that's causing controversy, when it's you know, moving dirt and people can see it, but you know, there, there might be challenges associated with that. So I think that's a really good point. Um, maybe when you're not explaining blockchain, you can start a TV show about economic <laughs> development. <laughs> it might only last an episode or two, but it's worth a try. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe give it a shot. All right. One last quick hit question. And this one's a little bit of a wild card. What is a tool, trick, tip, hack, whatever you want to call it, that you use in your work that you think other people would benefit from. Now, it doesn't have to be groundbreaking. We've had people answer that question by saying Google. We've had people talk about apps that they use, different strategies for getting their work done. But what's something important to you that you think more people deserve to know about? Well, that's a great question. I think particularly, maybe not an app, but maybe just a a life hack or a professional hack. And maybe for some of the uh, your listeners who are just coming into the field of marketing or or economic development or what it may be, and that is networking. Um, mm-hmm. You can't undervalue. People talk about it all the time. And no, today it's not a Rolodex. It's a digital. But yeah. my, out, my Outlook contacts are, you know, extremely valuable to me. Uh, I keep them updated when people move jobs. I notice that on LinkedIn or whatever. I go in and change their titles, their positions. Mm -hmm. I reach out to get their emails and phone numbers. You just never know when you're going to need, need those folks. And I have countless examples of where that's happened for me. So, you know, don't, don't just rely on social media or others to stay connected to people, do your own homework, keep your network fresh and uh, updated so that when you need to call on past contacts, friends, colleagues, and uh, professional experts, you can do that. That's still very relevant today even in a world without a paper Rolodex on your desk. Yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, I'm old enough to remember a time I I finished college pre-internet. And one of the biggest changes is that relationships today, I think they're even more important. And I think it is easier to get connected to people, but you have to do the research and the homework. You know, it used to be 
when I was coming of age, you relied upon chance to meet the right people. You'd go to an in-person networking event and hope there would be people relevant to you. Today, you don't need to do that. Um, you know, you can go online and be selective about who you want to connect with. I think that the catch is you still have to do the work in the real world. What I hear you saying is social media is a good start, but that has to have an impact in the real world or it's worth not worth all that much. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Yeah. Well, well, Matt, it has been great building a little relationship with you across a few states here. So I really appreciate you doing this. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you, Anthony. I've enjoyed it. I appreciate it very much. Well, thanks to everyone who took the opportunity to listen to this episode of the Asher Marketing Podcast. We'll be back next time with another great guest, and we hope you'll join us then.